The Pinball Network is online. Launching. Silverball Chronicles. Am I too loud? I feel like I'm too loud. I don't know. Feel fine to me. I mean, except for the snowblower. Yeah, that I don't know. I can help. All right. I guess I'll just. I guess I'll just have to apologize for it. This is far more important than your snow. Sorry about the sound of the snowblower in the background because <laughs> it's Canada in the winter and I'm recording a podcast. You can barely hear it. Okay, yeah, but it'll it'll as soon as I enhance the audio, it'll come. It'll be just terrible. Oh, yeah. But that's how she rolls. That's how more she editing. Rolls. Yeah, that's f-ing great. Hello everyone, I'm David Dennis, and this is Silverball Chronicles, and with me is Ron. Got to shovel that snow, Hallett. What's up, fella? Hey, how's it going? Hey, you're shoveling too, I hear. I am, I am. I apologize, everybody, in case you hear snowblowers in the background, because we just went through a big snowstorm, and my neighbors are oot and boot blowing <laughs> yeah, their we're, snow. We're in the Northeast, so we have snow. That's how, that's how it goes. So what have you been doing? I guess you hosted the uh, the bells and chimes at level zero. Yeah, yesterday. Yeah, how'd that go? Uh, went well. Did uh, did Bruce Nightingale place really high on that? Well, and he's not a bell, so no, he he wasn't here. No. Oh, that's a shame. But you know, you can listen to Bruce on my other podcast, the Slam Tail Podcast. Yeah, super good, great podcast, great podcast. 50% of it better than the other 50%. Okay. Yeah. Scooby-Doo was also announced. Spooky pinball, Scooby-Doo. Killer license. That's what they know how to do. License and art. Dead silence. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, Scooby-Doo, where are you? rut row. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I can't really do any Scooby characters. I'm sorry. I uh, I joined in on the Pinside Secret Santa this year, like I do every year. Are you in on that, Ron? Yeah, what's that? No, so basically on the, uh, the pinball website, the pinball website, Pinside, you can sign up for a Secret Santa gift giveaway, and there's like a, a $30 limit, and they'll pair you up with somebody else in your country or area, and you send them... Some Christmas gifts based around their pinball machines or their interests. Uh, it was, it was, it always is very fun this year. I sent my package out to Upper Canada, which is over in uh, the GTA, the tr- Greater Toronto area. Loads of fun, and uh, I also got just a wonderful, heartwarming gift. I got a little. Lego James Bond DB5 and some James Bond playing cards. This person really creeped me. They knew exactly what my interests were. So uh, a great thank you. But you don't partake. I'm not typically on Pinside, so I was un- unaware of of said thing. This is this is probably the best thing all year that Pinside does. Oh, the best thing Pinside. It's very heartwarming. It 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 
it it warms the cockles of my heart. Mm-hmm. So thank you to my Pinside Secret Santa, although you probably don't listen to this. I guess we should do a update. We have sold out over on Patreon. You can uh, swing on over and say hello at patreon.com slash silverballchronicles. We want to say welcome to our new patrons. We've got uh, William has joined us last month. But no one else can join because we're sold out. No, we have sold out. We, we're oh, not we sold, have sold out. Oh, oh yeah. I, I got confused what you meant there. So we've got uh, Brian D. Thank you for joining us, Brian, and Garrison T., And I don't know if I thanked uh, Adam D. and Tony V. last month, but thank you so much for joining us over at patreon.com slash silverballchronicles. For $3 a month, no big commitment, you can become a pro crony to say thank you to us. No major perks there, just a thank you. At $6 a month, this is the tier that matters, Ron, the big one, the premium cronies, where you get a free sticker after three months access to our private Discord chat room with all the secret back channels and rumors, have your uh, questions take priority on our podcast, and you may even vote on some upcoming. This is the big one. Early ad-free access to Silverball Chronicles. When the episode is ready to go, you are the first to get it without all of the annoying uh, bits and pieces throughout the episode about a week early. Our top-tier cronies are the elitist cronies, and uh, they get all of the same perks. But after three months, they get a Silver Ball Chronicles t-shirt. Just to let everyone know, even I don't get an ad-free version. You don't. And I'm on the show. You hate this show. You're on this show for the t-shirt. The free t-shirt that I gave you. That's all (laughs) you needed in exchange. Quite frankly, you carry the show, so I kind of need you. Oh, I have a t-shirt? Or does my dad have the t-shirt? Oh, you gave the t-shirt to your dad? I think so. God, you hate me. Yeah, I don't think I have a Silverball Chronicles t-shirt. Actually, that brings me to the next thing, my friend. We have commissioned a very well-known pinball artist to do us a new logo and t-shirt design. We hopefully will get that out sometime in January because the artist is quite busy. Oh, this time of the year, wink, wink. We're excited to bring that out for everybody. We have used our Patreon money and then some of my wife's money to pay for this artist. So thank you to all the Patreons for helping us out on that. Swing on over to silverballswag.com. Click on the Silverball Chronicles logo and check out all of our hoodies, mugs, and design choices. If you're a Canadian and you don't want to pay all of the shipping and possible duty from the shirts, shoot us an email at silverballchronicles at gmail.com. Shout out to Mike from British Columbia who picked up a shirt last month. I shipped it out to him and it smells of maple and leather bound books because it came directly from me. Ron, we've got some corrections from the last episode. I dropped the ball quite a few times here. Oh, fail. Some of them, some of them are actually quite embarrassing. Mm. Where can people send corrections to? They can send that over to silverballchronicles at gmail.com. Ah. Yes, Ben M. did some follow-up. He sent over quite a few emails, uh, some of them to do with the patent information on uh, some of the older pinball stuff from that post-war era and solid-state era. 
Very targets was one of the things that he sent over about that. And as well as he pointed out that we didn't spend very much time on Gottlieb. Why is that, Ron? It's because you it's, it's because you hate Gottlieb. Well, Gottlieb were the leaders in the industry, but they didn't necessarily do everything first, I guess. So, I mean, they did things like, uh, you know, flippers and they had the spinners and things like that. But it wasn't specifically David Gottlieb that like sat up and came up with everything. That being said, we will have a deeper dive in the sort of Gottlieb wedgehead EM 1960s era stuff. It's just a matter of time before we get around to that. It's a lot harder to find my own content and primary sources so sources of the people that were there at that time as well as um, some of the sources that i was able to to gleam from that area they don't spend a whole lot of time on on the content from the last episode the pinball degenerate himself joe chiravino he pointed out in the last episode i made a joke about uh, vienna like north carolina or something and I said it was in Italy. Well, he, he points out that Vienna is in Austria and not in Italy. Mm-hmm. Which is actually quite embarrassing because I did actually know that. So that's a bummer. You can do this one if you want. Because you this is embarrassing for you because you should have known this one. Oh, this is embarrassing for me. Yes. Ian, Ian points out that Wizard of Oz was not the first game on RGB LEDs. That's what we said. We said it was Wizard of Oz. Now, they were the first one to show a pinball machine with RGB LEDs, but they weren't the first production. Yeah, because it took them like another year to actually come out with the game from the first time they showed it at a show. So ACDC was actually the first one. Yeah, specifically the LE Premium model in the new Stern design philosophy. Which you would think I'd know being I have one. Oh, my. From that run, from the original premium 2012 run. Yes. So I I have failed. He also pointed out that there was a game called New Canesta, which was from some random European manufacturer that had a very low, small production run that actually had some RGB LEDs. But, uh, you know, when we talked in our last episode, we were a little more, we tried to tighten up kind of, well, it had to be an actual, like, larger run production for us to sort of consider it. But... Granted, again, we are not the the ultimate, uh, you know, authority of pinball history, uh, specifically with a co-host like me, Ron. <laughs> well, AC- ACDC was the first game that they did their, their three models, the Pro, the Premium, and the LE, which Stern has been doing ever since. But the Pro just had regular incandescence. But the production run was so long, and they did so many different runs of ACDC, they eventually had a pro run with leds really yeah and a swinging bell the original pro just had the static bell yeah they, there's so many if you go to ipdb.org great resource you'll see there's at least six or seven different editions of acdc the uh the topic today this is a topic which we have revisited quite a few times it is the Pinball is Dying series. Your Aww, favorite series. We're around the holidays. We're supposed to be in a good mood, and you're going to do this? That's right. I'm going to do a topic which is all about destroying something. Oh. And it's usually the hopes and dreams of anybody who wants anything slightly different from the status quo. So status quo, weren't they? They were the first band at Live Aid. <laughs> I th- I'm pretty sure they were the first, the first band. That's like your answer to a trivia question. Perfect. Perfect. There you go, everybody.
This ongoing series is made to depress and delight all of our listeners. And what do I mean by that? Well, the pinball industry and the hobby around it has always been on fragile footing. It has ups and downs, which during its history have swung violently. Brilliant minds have come and gone in pinball. Many have been crushed by the emotional weight of competition or tempted away by actual jobs with less stress from impending layoffs. But pinball has always endured. This is the happy part, Ron. It has carried on. Great designers held on. Some went away and some returned. With every death spiral, pinball kept chugging along. So join us again this month as we talk Pinball is Dying Part 3, Bally Midway in the 1980s. As David Dennis goes for an Academy Award. That was deep. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the peak of Bally, and we talked about this way back in the archives in our original sort of earlier episodes. Bally's class of 1981 was really the absolute peak. 8081, isn't that right? Yes, that is right. What did they bring? What were some of the top sort of things that happened in 8081? Uh, Centaur, 8-Ball Deluxe, uh, Frontier, if we want to go back to 1980, because I just love Frontier. Xenon, not an amazing player, but a stunning art package, a great sound package. Really cutting-edge stuff. Well, by 1981, the tumble had started, and this was this was due to the fact that all the money was rushing into video. Video was uh, cheaper, it had less maintenance, it was easier to do, and the game just went on and on and on and on. Where pinball had stuck balls, it had production issues, it had you know flippers that would stop working, all of that stuff. That tumble really started to pick up speed in 1982. You remember Spectrum, right, Ron? I remember Spectrum. Margaret Hudson, the artist on that uh, pinball machine, would say that it was her baby. She also did the art on 8-Ball Deluxe, but of course, Paul Ferris did most of the art direction of 8-Ball Deluxe. She just drew the art. This was the machine that she had total free reign on. A beautiful machine, but a terrible player. What do you think? Was it a good player? <laughs> You're saying it as fact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I got I to gotta say, when it comes to the class of 81, it, it, it doesn't stack up to those games. It's, it's Masterminds. Yeah. And it, it, the code was where it was at. An extremely complicated, well, it has a saucer that you can just keep hitting over and over and getting clues, which kind of defeats the purpose. But the actual Masterminds part is it's going to go over most people's heads, I think, playing it, the rules. Yeah, yeah, I get you there. But beautiful pin, wonderful to look at, an absolute stunner, looks good, I think, in any lineup. And very talkative. It talks a lot. One of the the few um, major talkers sort of in this era when it started to go away. So after Spectrum's 994-unit... sadness release here we had speakeasy which had two different versions there's the domestic version of speakeasy with 3000 units 
And Speakeasy 4, the export unit with 1,000. So we're, let's talk 4,000 units. So the turbulence is beginning. And we're, we haven't fallen off of a cliff here, Ron, but there is turbulence. And Speakeasy 4 has got to be rare because even I haven't seen one. There, if you've got one of those in Europe, it's probably worth millions. The last great hit, the last greatest hit of Bally Manufacturing Corporation was... And this is an this is an odd one. Baby Pac-Man from 1982, 7,000 units. So we're still holding it down here. Isn't that the combo video game pinball machine? That was. Now we'll yeah. talk about this some other time. But uh, you know, you've got a small play field with a with a, a Pac-Man sort of component in the video head part of it. You know, it's not quite pinball. It's not quite video, but it speaks to the brand that was Pac-Man in the 1980s. It was just an absolute license to print money. But the last Bally Manufacturing Corporation game was BMX. You know BMX, Ron? Yes, the bike thing. Yes, it is a biking theme, or today we would call it X Games. This is January of 1983. It sells 406 units designed by Ward Pemberton. And we'll remember him, Ron, from Fathom. Mm-hmm. Art by Greg Freres, Kevin O'Connor, Margaret Hudson, Pat McMahon, and uncredited software. So at the Chicago Expo 2012 presentation, Greg Freres stated that the game started out as E.T. Remember that movie? Yes. Phone Home? But they couldn't get the license. So then the four in-house artists collaborated on the game. Greg Ferreris did the back glass. Kevin O'Connor did the play field. Margaret Hudson did the plastics. And Pat McMahon did the cabinet. Yeah, so this was an all-hands-on-deck. Let's get this thing done. But it only sells 406 units. So again, this this turbulence in the in the early 1980s was real. Like they'd had a hit of 7,000 units, and then they couldn't get 400 units out the door. 4,000 units, but they had nine. Like they're they're hit and miss. It's it's really kind of a rough bit. But uh, of course, we remember Ward Pemberton from Fathom fame. Uh, he designed Bally Manufacturing Company's last pin while he was still a junior associate designer and this was under Jim Patla. He didn't even have a full-time contract. So at this time, they were kind of keeping people on junior roles except for those senior team members like uh, Jim Patla and Greg Freres and and guys like that. So Ward says, "I got laid off before BMX even went into production. It was just a very downtime at Bally. I wasn't under contract, so they weren't losing anything getting rid of me. A couple of guys there felt really bad that I was laid off." Jim Patla was one of them. Yeah, so the cuts are starting, right? It's it's things are things are in a bit of an upheaval. So you got to find what they call, you know like efficiencies. They have to cut the fat, right? And and unfortunately, because Ward was a you know wasn't a full time employee, they were able to sort of cut him out easily. And he is very aware of that. A lot of Ward's comments come from his really wonderful appearance on Topcast in the early two thousands. Well, where did Ward end up? This is an amazing story. Well, Ward says, you know what I did? I worked out for a while, and then I got a tryout with the White Sox, the Chicago White Sox, in 1983. They signed me up, and I went down to spring training and then got released. Never officially made the roster. I think I was only down there for about three weeks. It was another exciting time in my life, you know. I had a shot at the White Sox. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? That's pretty cool. 
So don't play Ward Pemberton in the uh, company softball game. You want him on your team. Exactly, exactly. Draft him first. Well, so from 1932 to 1983, Bally was considered the Bally Manufacturing Corporation. But no more. But no more. The, the, the end has come. This turbulence of the post-1981, class of 81 era, has come to an end with a significant change in Bally Manufacturing Corporation. It is now known as Bally Midway Manufacturing Company. So what's Midway? The new era has begun. Well, I mean, from the late 1970s through the late 1980s, Midway was the leading producer in video games in the United States. At this time, Midway was licensing and distributing in the United States Pac-Man from 1980 and its sequel which was huge, Miss Pac-Man in 1982. Arcade games were on a massive high through 1980 and 1983. You can see, when you look at all of the information um, on IPDB and, and through some Google searches, that pinball really started to fall off a cliff and Midway became Bally Midway Manufacturing when Bally merged the pinball division with the video game Midway Division, in late 82. This was a corporate strategy to save money and to weather the recession of the mid-1980s. Do you remember that time, Ron? Do you, were you aware of these changes in, in you know, pinball I was and, like and arcade? 10 years old. I, I don't remember these changes. And where I was, there wasn't that much pinball. It was mostly video games. So uh, there were three major games that were released in, in that year one of them including satan's hollow from george gomez i love that game there was uh it was the first game to feature the new brand of bally midway so george gomez says we're in this horrible mode we have been bought senior management of bally had changed hands they brought in a bunch of these ge management guys they were all about acquisitions it was the buzzword of the 80s they basically took and squandered the video game war chest. In 1982, the Midway Division was a $500 million company. If you just looked at the Midway Division without anything else, they were bigger than the mother company. Yet the mother company was holding the purse strings and calling the shots. These GE guys wanted to buy, and they went out and bought all kinds of silly stuff. Mergers and acquisitions, right? If you're not buying anything, you're, you're dying. So they spent a lot of time there. Now, George Gomez was not in pinball at this time. Uh, you know, George Gomez was not in the higher echelon of Midway at the time, like he is now at Stern Pinball. He did have a lot of insight because he was in sort of a middle management design role. And that's where a lot of these quotes come from. What is GE? Is GE General, General Electric? Electric? It is yeah, GE, General okay. Electric. So what did management buy with all of the Midway video game money? They bought Lancer Yachts. They bought six flags over America and health clubs and fitness health equipment. You know, Bally Fitness. This is terrible, terrible. So basically the idea was that, that Bally Midway was an entertainment company. So they try to find all these different ways to be entertainment. Well, going with your family to Six Flags is entertainment. Working out is entertainment. You know, rich people are entertained by fancy yachts. And when you're a, you know, a big deal GE executive, you probably want to have a yacht because, 
you know, sometimes you get bored of your 1980s Porsche. So they basically had squandered that entire war chest on, as George Gomez says, all kinds of silly stuff. So Grand Slam was the first pinball game under the Bally Midway brand. It was a baseball theme, as the name would indicate, from January of 1983. It sells 1,000 units, designed by Greg Kamick, art by Doug Watson, and software by Riemann Merchant. So Greg Kamick told IPDB that Grand Slam was made as an economy game, meaning there wasn't a lot of extra money put into the game, neither in design or promotion. Originally, a two-player was made, but they were not selling well, so Bally made the last part of the production run as a four-player. So let me bring this up for you, Ron, some of the images <laughs> of this. Yeah, and I've seen all of these. <laughs> I've played all of these games. So, so you have spent a great deal of time playing some of these greatest hits of Bally Midway, so I think we're going to have a lot of fun uh, with your insight here. Well... I mean, some of them were fun. It's interesting to see. We're, we're looking at the flyer because we love flyers. And it's curious how they're going to sell this to us now with this new company. So the flyer basically has baseball trivia on it. Interesting. Everybody loves trivia. I'm a big trivia fan. You know, play ball. It's the bottom of the ninth and the heat's on. You saunter up to the plate and get a tight grip on your flippers. Oh, God. Anything <laughs> could happen. You could drive a single, slug a man to second, powerhouse a homer, blow your way to a win. Oh, no, that's not what it says. Oh, God, it's even worse. Plow your way to a win. <laughs> Here's the windup. Your hands are tightly clenched. Your face flushed in anticipation. I feel dirty reading this. You, you meet the ball with courage. Your swing is solid. It's a hit. The scoreboard shines as the bases light the path to victory. Whether you're a rookie or a pinball pro, all the major league excitement of baseball comes alive in Grand Slam. Wow. Wow. And they have a picture of Hank Aaron on the uh, flyer and Babe Ruth. I wonder if either of them gave their okay for that. What an odd thing. <laughs> There's nothing on this flyer about the gameplay about the features about it's just it's going to be in a bar people like baseball especially in the u.s right like america's pastime kind of thing it's pulling on that and less to do with hey this game is good i just think it's amazing they have babe ruth and hank aaron on it well it's just a sort of a chubby guy in old clothing it's and, it's, and a, it's babe ruth and hank aaron <laughs> so this has the uh the the what do they call them the flip up the flip targets, up targets that we saw on speakeasy Speak easy. yeah so it's like a drop target but instead of it dropping into the play field it flips up like horizontally yep pretty cool it does have an orbit spinner but that orbit spinner ends up into the pop bumpers which is kind of a bit of a right but it's it's clearly baseball it has a baseball diamond in the middle uh it's got your lanes on the top it's got orbits it seems like a an okay game but it is a stripped down version of pinball because we are in this era now of survival but we still have cabinet art beautiful cabinet yeah. art, in fact you know it's a baseball player on the side it's stencil but it is pretty uh the play field it's it's really difficult i think all the time when it comes to play fields, it's always been an issue with, with football or baseball or soccer or whatever is, tr is trying to get that, that world under glass. It always just looks unusual, which is a bit annoying. But, you know, it's still a nice looking pin, right? It still seems fun. 
but it is stripped down. And you've played one, and you loved it every minute of it. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> the greatest of all time, right? Again, it's gonna. It's it's also the era. I don't believe it has speech. So that would cost too much. This used the Bally uh, 2518-35 board set, which is the same as Baby Pac-Man. I find that unusual because it's like they just have this stock laying around and they got to get rid of it because it's it's surprising that uh, Baby Pac-Man, which was the, the mix of pinball and video, would have a, a similar board to a stripped-down machine because Baby Pac-Man doesn't seem like it was stripped down. This brings us to Centaur 2. The sequel. Not really. It's the same game. Yeah. This is the fantasy big motorcycle pigman theme. It's from June of 1983. It sells 1,550 units, which is a far cry from the class of 1981 Centaur, which sold 3,700 units. These were technically considered LEs. You had Centaur 2, and you had uh, 8-Ball Deluxe. Designed by Jim Patla, art by Paul Ferris, probably his best art package, and uh, mechanics by Irv Grable. It was the exact same play field as Centaur 81. It had the Say It Again reverb board on the Squawk and Talk speech card, which I think is amazing it's a separate it's a separate board that board makes it like reverberate right? yeah which which is what makes the, the it's a reverb package. board i just love that they called it say it again because <laughs> it because it's reverberating it is literally saying it again. destroyed centaur and then it had the uh the ball launch uh, the ball launch you know thing underneath basically an auto launcher before an auto launcher existed which was based on the inspiration from 1956 balls a poppin which you'll remember from our last episode which had a auto launcher mm-hmm. in 1956 yeah. mind-boggling yeah this is where they were using their their rapid fire cabinets yeah, so it just it's it's like all the best parts of Centaur, it just looks strange. Yeah, rapid, which is kind of disappointing. Rapid Fire was the copy of Hyperball that they ripped off from Williams and it bombed just like Hyperball did for Williams, so they were left with cabinets left over, just like Williams was. <laughs> yeah, they're they're trying to tap into they're trying to tap into video gameness at this time, right? All that money is flowing into video games. Well, they're they're trying to tap into that, and they just they just are struggling a lot. It's really kind of strange, but some of the really amazing stuff in here is like the pre-production artwork. If you look at IPDB, it's just beautiful. It still looks great. The disappointing fact is that the back glass, which is so amazing, is smaller in Centaur 2 because of the size of that rapid fire cabinet. I know people who prefer this version. Really? Yes. Is it because it's like easier to move or something? I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't. And the thing about the rapid fire, the back glass is just the glass. There's no scoring displays. The scoring displays are actually below it. They have their own section. So I guess it's more... More art-focused, I guess, than, than than function. The shit really hits the fan in 1982 and early 83. That's when both pinball and video games start to sort of spiral downward. There's oversaturation in the market. The quality of video has started to just decline. The new management is looking to save money, and they do that by combining the pinball and arcade divisions in one facility in Franklin Park outside of Chicago. They're downsizing and trying to cut costs. Paul Ferris says, The industry in about 1983 was at almost its lowest ebb. They started downsizing a lot of the Bally product. 
There was actually talk at that point of not even doing pinball anymore. Bally not doing pinball seems almost like blasphemy, doesn't it? Bally is synonymous with pinball, especially back then when they were actually a manufacturer. It's just depressing to even think of that. The art in those times, and Paul Ferris is really, uh, as the art director in that class of, of 1981, he was brought on because art sold pinball machines. Well, by 1983, they are looking at ways to cut costs. So Paul Ferris says, almost everybody had gone from the art department. That's when I knew that we could see that the end was coming. It was going to be very, very tough to keep doing the things we had done before. This was my first experience with this. Things could go up, but they also can go down. Even if you're doing all the right things, the market is what controls all that. So then I did leave. And I think they kept maybe two or three people just to kind of run a skeleton crew in the art department. You can really start to see in the next games that we run through here, Ron, I guess the creative quality of those pinball machines has really started to fall off a cliff, which is really a bummer. So let me share Gold Ball with you, Ron. Ah, Gold Ball. Gold Ball. Yes, the famous James Bond villain. No. (laughs) This is a... I want to say like a fantasy theme of some sort. It's from June of 83. So we've gone, you know, almost five months here between pins and 83. So, so even the manufacturing of production has slowed down. This is designed by George Christian art by Tony Ramuni and software by Riemann merchant. So let's take a look at this flyer. Cause I think this is peak gold ball. The time now the event A fantastic adventure in futuristic pinball. The game, Gold Ball. And it's got a guy that kind of looks like the Silver Ball Mania dude. Yeah, really sort of ripped and bald, and he's reaching out towards the player. A new age of pinball. It does have a cool gimmick. So what is the gimmick here? What is the the thing that's supposed to catch you? The gimmick is it it has two balls in it. It has regular pinball, but then it also has a gold ball. Yes. And here's here's the funny thing about this. The gold ball does something special, right? I think it's three times playfield when you get the gold ball, like triple playfield values. And originally it was just a percentage. The operator would choose how often the gold ball would come out. And then they changed it and made it uh, skill-based. So there's, there's different ROM reversions for this game. The thing that's interesting is if you find one of these, the gold ball will still be gold. You know, 40 years later. Wow. Yet today, whenever anyone tries to make like a gold-plated ball, the plating always comes off. It's it's another one of those things. It's like, how did they make this gold ball? The thing lasts forever, and, and they can't make these now. Like this, The plating falls off of it. What was the secret? It's it's probably dangerous chemicals. Oh, dangerous chemicals. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a neat little gimmick. It has the ball like in a separate area below the uh, apron that it just it comes out so all of a sudden it just goes in the shooter lane and you got a gold ball but there's yeah it's there it's no real rhyme or reason which is which is kind of the bummer right well, it is it's, per- it's, not... it's percentage but then they change the rom so it actually is skill based so there's two versions of it so we're in june of 83 the next game doesn't come out until 1984 
So we go basically six months, six and a few months, and we get eight ball deluxe limited edition. No, so that's we, that's not. This is not a limited edition. The limited edition is the one in the rapid fire cabinet. There's like three ver. There's three versions of eight ball deluxe. That's right. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm not ahead looking in my notes here, folks. This version of eight ball deluxe is exactly like the original version, except there are a few minor differences. So take a look at your 8-Ball Deluxe cabinet, because you might think this is actually manufactured from the class of 81, but it might actually be from the, oh my god, we need a good game that we know how to manufacture very cheaply in 1984 version. Some of the differences include the apron is black and says Bally Midway. I think the original one was like gold. The entire front of the cabinet is black. Side edges of the back box are beveled. Cabinet art is decals. Playfield lamps are mounted on PCB boards instead of individual light sockets. There's a slightly smaller hinged backlash that swings out. And the coin door sticker says Bally Midway instead of Bally. Yeah, so check your pin. You might actually find out. It's a little bit different. The light mounted, the light mounted, <laughs> the, <laughs> the PCB boards for the lights Actually, a little better than the individual sockets. It's like the newer style that you would you would have saw in like a Williams game in the nineties with, ah, with, with the okay. twisting. So some people I've seen a person had a project where they combined like the best elements of the eighty one eight ball deluxe with the eighty four eight ball deluxe to get the ultimate eight ball deluxe. Yes, the the Frankenstein of eight ball deluxe. I play a lot of eight ball deluxe in my league. I really, there's something about the design of that game. I don't know what it is, but it it's just so challenging and fun and interesting. It really is great. So the next thing we do is we have to innovate again, and we're playing Granny and the Gators. Yes, because we waited six months to get 8-Ball Deluxe again, so we need something new. This is the Geriatric Safari Wildlife theme. It is from January of 1984. We're unsure how many units it sold, but it is designed by Claude Fernandez, art by Pat McMahon and Margaret Hudson. Software is uncredited. What are we looking at here, Ron? I think I've only played Granny and the Gators maybe once. It is Baby Pack again with a... TV monitor in the back glass and a shortened, odd-looking playfield down below. I haven't played it. I have seen it. The art is pretty great. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Margaret Hudson, uh, you know, tip of the hat to you. It It is very, very neat. Uh, it's, again, it's not pinball. It's it's not video games. Isn't it like it's a like two-player? Yeah. Check out this flyer. Oh, I, I love your, your geriatric. What did you call it? The, the theme? Geriatric Safari Wildlife. You made that theme. up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Bally, Midway's Granny and the Gators trademarked. Are you spunky enough to keep up with Granny? Oh, oh. Find out when she takes on the Gators in a splashy new video pinball voyage. Navigate Granny past rough waters to steer clear of danger. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh my God. But the art on this flyer is amazing. Oh is yeah. It not? Oh yeah. It's like it's like Granny in uh, combat boots with a bunch of money and an alligator, and there's like a smoking, what is that? A bird of some sort with a cigar. It's pretty great here. It's pretty great. But <laughs> like, what is it? Is it pinball? Is it a video game? What is it? 
it's it's both help granny paddle towards a pinball detour as granny globe trots towards various points across the river she will approach pinball entrances. Once she canoes into the entrance, she'll leave the video world behind and encounter the pinball playfield. Here, Granny can accumulate a few souvenirs, including ammunition, gold, and additional points. There you go. So, in a nutshell, you're playing a bit of a video game. You're canoeing up a river. Uh, you end up in a in a spot, and then the ball pops out on the playfield. You play a little pinball, and then you're back on the screen. It's uh, all the power to you. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's fun that they tried it again. But this game and Baby Pac-Man are often referenced in what not to do. Um, George Gomez, Pat Lawler, all those individuals, when they're talking about Pinball 2000, you know, 20 years after this, are basically saying like, we couldn't make it like Granny and the Gators. We couldn't make it like Baby Pac-Man because it did not go over well. But the sales were okay on these machines, which is unusual. Let's continue on our journey down the river, which is Bally Midway. And that brings us to X's and O's, which is a board game, I think, time travel theme. It is January, later January of 84, sells 3,300 units. So we got a, we got something here, right? Something hit with this machine. It is uh, George Christian on design, Pat McMahon and Margaret Hudson on art. And again, software by Riemann Merchant. You can see the cost cutting here. The skeleton crew of the art team, same software designer, the same senior game designer for years and years. Margaret Hudson, this would be her last Bally game. She would disappear from the industry for years until 1987 at Data East. And then again, she'd disappear and return to Stern in the 2000s. X's and O's. This is a game that people actually really, really enjoy. They do? I think so. It's tic-tac-toe. It's another grid game. And it has the skill shot that if you're in a multi-person game... You have to run up when it's your turn because it it's times out within like five seconds or something. You have five to ten seconds. I think it's five seconds. To- but it goes over well, right? The code is the thing that sort of sets this game apart as being like original and neat. Isn't that right? I like it. Yeah. It, and it, for some reason, this game just kind of hits like, oh, this is kind of fun. This is different. But it's like a caveman backlash, which is really cool, but like unusual it's very cartoony um it's like the invention of tic-tac-toe across different eras there's like greek gentlemen in there there's uh cowboys in there there's like a spaceman i don't know what is going on but it is fun <laughs> it's a fun looking game what do you think about this play field we're looking at the play field now and right directly in the middle is a tic-tac-toe grid yep oh, it's, it's it's like it's like mystic it's got the same grid. Yeah. It's the yeah. same targets, except instead of drop targets, they're now stand-ups. Again, less money. Yeah. More challenging gameplay, though. And it's it, to, to me, it's it's like an updated Mystic with a cool skill shot. It's got a fl- flipper up on top with actual drops. Like I said, the, um, the skill shot is extremely difficult, and you have five seconds to ch- attempt it before the timer runs out. Yep, it's got a beautiful left side into like a really kind of unusual into the pops. 
but it's got three sort of different exits you can take into the pops or into the air. It's it's like a it's a really fun looking uh, play field. Really fun looking play field. The left has the out lane is the in lane. The in lane is the out lane thing that Bally loved to do. And then the bump on the other side, you can nudge the out lane back into the in lane. So it's 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 really it's a really creative play field by George Christian, and I think that's why it's sold well. It's it's quirky, it's original, it's not Granny and the Gators, it's not uh, stripped down, or at least it doesn't look stripped down. It's cool. I'd play one. I'd play one a hundred percent if I could see it. Just beautiful. But it doesn't have multi ball. It doesn't. You're going to find almost a lot of these are not going to have multi-ball because, again, saving money. I've mentioned George Christian a couple of times, and uh, he was the designer behind the greatest selling pinball machine of all time. Adam's Family? Till Adam's oh. Family. And that was Bally's 8-Ball from 1977. It sold a billion units. That's all. That's the one wow. with the, uh, a lot the of fawns units. on it. We might, we might get a correction on that one, I'm thinking. Yeah. And... They're just using him to bang out quick, uh, cheap, and interesting designs. Because he's a pro. He knows how to do this. He knows how to get a, a, a play field out. And that is the one thing that those um, designers from the 70s and 60s, they just they just banged out play fields like you would not believe. It was absolutely amazing. What about King Kings of Steel? Ah, uh, Kings of Steel. This is this is a card game theme. It's from March of 84, so we can see that at, at least now our releases are coming together a little bit quicker. Sells 2,900 units, so again, we're popping a number. That's a good number to see. This is the design by Greg Kamek. Uh, you'll remember him from Xenon. Art by uh, Doug Watson and software by Riemann Merchant. I like the art. It's got the dueling kings on the back glass. It is not Greg Ferris. It is not Paul Ferris. But at the same time, it is unusual and interesting and, and kind of fun. But we're in a different era of art in in these times. They've got like two knights face-to-face on the uh, back. They're kings. They're not knights. They're kings of steel. Yes, because it's card games, right? The king of hearts and the king of spades or something and they're facing off it's a very busy backlash, but it comes together really well i really like this beautiful just beautiful it's not centaur craziness it's not xenon space weirdness but it is cool where i think it it goes it goes awry are the play fields in this era they use a lot of oranges a lot of like blues and things it, it, it it's a bit muddled on the play field but it's not the end of the world, right? It's not the end of the world. This one also has the unusual out lanes. It has a gate on the right side. So it has two in lanes unless the gate is disengaged and then you lose your ball out the out lane. What's that? What do we, what do we want to call that left side out lane where the out lane is the in lane and it comes through a, a gate? What do we want to call that? I, I call it the, ba- the Bally out lane, in lane. And it also has the Bally saucer up top. They love that too. Everybody everybody loves a saucer and i mean that's greg kamik right greg kamik almost all of his games have a saucer at the top now this game for the tournament crowd mm. this is one of the worst games you could have because you hit the the top the stand-up target on the right and that's it that's all you hit yeah it's like a dead end it's like a dead end stand-up target shot you ignore everything else in the game and if you hit that enough times you will win 
Drop targets on the left, ignore them. Stand up targets with the small flipper on the top. Oddly enough, every time there is a top saucer, that the object is to shoot that saucer. Not in this game. They've had multiple games too with that, that upper left flipper with the targets up there. Fireball 2 has yeah. the exact same thing. And it has a swinging target, a sucker target in the center that swings, right? That's like, shoot me in the middle. I don't know. Shoot me, super dangerous. I don't think that swings. Or, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I mean, a stand up yeah, target. Yeah, it has, it has the bally. That should also be a bally thing. The stand up target directly in the center in front of you that's like, hit me. And, and if you do, it probably won't register and you'll drain anyway. How are they trying to sell this to me? How are they selling Kings of Steel? Enjoy a test of champions on the playfield of combat in Bally Midway's exciting new four player pinball, Kings of Steel. Oh, exciting. It actually does sound pretty, pretty, pretty good. Now, Ron, does Kings of Steel still have the old school cabinet? When did they move to the to the new crappy cabinet? Uh, oh, you mean the one that's made out of... Um, cardboard. It's cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't got to the 6803s yet, I don't think. So uh, basically what I'm, what I'm leading us to here is eventually they go from the sort of the old school solid kind of birch or wood cabinets to like a, like a fiberboard melamine kind of weird cabinets again, to, to cut costs. Yep. And even on Kings of Steel, it doesn't use the squawk and talk board. It uses the cheap squawk board, which is the seller I've ever, I've ever heard of cheap squawk, cheap squawk (laughs) or cheap squeak. Is yeah. it cheap squeak or cheap squawk? I don't got... know. It must be cheap squeak because that sounds more fun. Yeah. The next game in 1984 is in July, so the the production is 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 quicker all of a sudden, right? We're we're at least trying to bang out some games here on a more regular basis. We're we're less in cost cutting survival more mode like we were about a year ago or two years ago and now we're just sort of like okay let's just be consistent with quality here george christensen with another play field this is black pyramid it is like a what is what is this theme like a it's an adventurer theme yeah it's like adventure amazon pyramid thing like you know the guy in jungle hunt yeah, that, that, it's like go. he's he's in pyramids now. That's yeah, what it is. There you go. It sells twenty five hundred units. Art by Greg Freres, so he's sticking around. Software by uh, Riemann Merchant. Again, he's just doing all the software, which is why some of the games are better than others. Now, this game comes out in July of eighty four. Do you remember what came out in May of nineteen eighty four? Uh, well, if I wasn't looking at your notes, no. But looking at your notes. Temple of Doom. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So I think we are trying to piggyback on that sort of adventure, kind of mystery, fun theme. And Indiana Jones is pretty awesome. Not going to lie, except for which we don't talk about. Uh, But uh, they're all pretty good movies. This is The Legend of the Black Pyramid. It all began thousands of miles beyond the mouth of the Nile River in a fertile region known today as Bally Midway. Oh, God. That's terrible. That's terrible. (laughs) I can't read this. I'll get to the end. At least it wasn't a pun. The majesty of its flashing lights, the gleaming opulence of its regal flippers. Now from the far corners of Bally Midway, the legend known as Black Pyramid lives again. I mean, I guess. Wow. Yeah. They, they, that's the fun thing about Bally, eh? Is they go all in on the, 
emotional connection. All in on the fiction. Yeah, it's the it's not the gameplay that gets you. It's the fan fiction. Oh, definitely not in this game. Basically, Black Pyramid, it has the swinging target in the center that goes back and forth that you never hit. It has the saucer up top, of course. And this is the orbit game. If it's on the right flipper, you hit the left orbit. Left flipper, you hit the right orbit. That's it. That's, That's it. Don't, don't, don't hit anything else. Don't do anything else. It's got That's the stand-up in-line drop targets on the yep. right orbit. Which we love right? those. The two times, three times, five times. Love they those. know people. They, people. they know people love it. They know it. We love in-line drop targets. You knock them all down, and then you just go up top. Play feels very Egyptian theme. Yep. It's got some snakes. It's got a black pyramid in the middle. As it should. It's the name of the game. Yeah. Gotta be literal. I, I never mind playing this game because I just I want to see how many orbits I can hit. How about how about how about nineteen eighty four, October of eighty four, Spy Hunter. The video game spy car theme. I love Spy Hunter. Sells two thousand three hundred units, another decent seller. Greg Kamik, Tony Ramuni on art, software by Riemann Merchant. Bally used the same name and the same design of the video game, which was released in 1983. Spy Hunter is the driving game designed by the George Gomez at Midway in the video game department. But they added uh, an interesting piece to the pinball machine, which was crazy playfield layout. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, wouldn't they bring in a George Gomez to work on this? Wouldn't they? Wouldn't they? They had a, a certified hit in 1983 with Spy Hunter. Well, George said, with the success of Spy Hunter, the company wanted to leverage the property. And they said, you know, let's make 500 pinballs. The pinball guys didn't know who I was or cared. They were basically the first rock star designers in our business. Which is interesting coming from a modern rock star legend in the industry. They're going to bring in Greg Kamik who did Xenon, right? Who did a lot of those big sort of smash hit games in 8081. It's been around forever. And they're going to pair him up with George Gomez, right? George Gomez is going to come in and help design this because, I mean, it's his property. He literally invented it. So George says, So I walk into Greg's office, and I may have said two words to the guy. I got the chilliest reception I've ever gotten. So I walked out of there going, Okay, this isn't going to happen. You know, this guy's not going to let me do anything relative to pinball. I regret that to this day. I would love to do a Spy Hunter pinball. There, there. Here's an Easter egg. There's an Agent GK on some of the targets there, which refers to the game designer, Greg Kamik. Let's, let's, let's dive into Spy Hunter, um, the design of this game, because it is something else. <laughs> I don't think it plays the Peter Gunn music. Of course it wouldn't, right? Like, that would be just too nice. The Peter Gunn music that they had to use because they couldn't get the Bond theme music. Well, who could? And all those years later, Gomez got to do Bond. Spy Hunter. Hot on the heels of Bally Midway's popular video game Spy Hunter comes its supercharged pinball counterpart. Spy Hunter Pinball provides twice the espionage excitement with a double arsenal of two built-in game options. Ooh. Top Secret Spy Hunter Code lets you switch style of play from random bonus feature to skill. With a flick of a switch, you can add suspense and heighten the challenge of Spy Hunter's basic gameplay to extend player interest. Whether players track down bonus points with a random or skill play feature, the challenge is thrilling. The stakes are high. The pace is deadly. 
I'm going to go out on a limb here, Ron. I'm going to say I don't think um, Reman Merchant is going to revolutionize the code here. He's banging out a new pinball machine every like three months. I think they are over-promising on the excitement of this pinball code. I like on this game how the back glass and the side art are the same. It is cool art on on the back glass, though. It's like a, a jet and a car and a motorcycle and a boat and a rocket and a you know gorgeous spy man and a beautiful woman. It's a cool back glass. The play field falls apart. <laughs> it's interesting. I'll say that. They really threw a lot at it. You can tell, I think, that they had a hot property and they said, let's let's give it a little extra. It reminds me of Gold Wings. It does remind me of Goldwing. The main flippers are way over to the right. Yeah, Gottlieb Goldwing from uh, the uh, the the nineteen uh, or the eighty B era in the late eighties. It is really unusual. It's got uh, the flippers are offset. It's got a whole almost like mini game on the left side with the out lanes and everything. They do try to tie things to the video game. It's got smoke screens, oil slicks, that stuff. I haven't played one. Have you played one? Yes. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle? It plays as weird as it looks. Okay, so, and you're all about gameplay, right? That is your first tier. It's got to pass the gameplay tier before yeah, it goes anywhere else. This is too weird. Too weird. It's almost got like a bagatelle on the left side. And I actually don't, I, I like gold wings. And oh. that's And that's weird, but this is like too weird. It's tough to describe. You got to look it up. Yeah, so there ain't no other games like this one. Let's put it that way. Yeah, the closest is Gold Wings, but the, you know it's pretty bad when an ADB with an unusual layout is the better design. <laughs> the stress at Bally Midway was starting to add up during this time. Uh, the young George Gomez was not happy at Midway. He was over in the arcade and video game division. But he was calling around looking for work in other places. And we would know that he would end up at Marvin Glass, where he would, uh, which is a think tank in the Chicago area where they came up with legendary board games and children's toys. Gomez would say, every 30 days, my boss would call me into his office and say, listen, you got to find X amount of dollars in your budget, which basically meant I had to lay off some people. Then the layoff would happen and we'd have a pizza party. Let's rally everybody and we're back in it. After you do that three or four times, it starts getting old. So the stress adds up. You can't keep doing that. You can't. There's only so many pizzas that you can give people to to rally the yeah. troops. And people are like, you used that quote already. Yes, we did in the George Gomez episode. We've, I think we've used it probably like a bunch of times. But, but it's very telling uh, about the atmosphere at Bally at that time. The next game was uh, Hot Shots. Now, this only had six units. It was not actually released. It was a billiard game. This is in 1985. But the reason I bring it up is that it was designed by a new individual called Dan Langloy. It had the uh, concept art done by Greg Ferris and uh, uh, Unknown Software. Basically, it was an experiment to try to maybe boost sales, um, strip it down, make it a bit different and unusual. It was almost in a rapid-fire cabinet without the back glass. It was really small, a wide-open play field, and it had, like, these unusual, like, full-size billiard balls that you would hit with the pinball, which would then fall into a pocket and then pop. It was really weird. It looks almost like a, exactly like a small billiard table. The game did terrible 
in test locations. It was it was later brought back as cue ball wizard. No. Yeah, it uh, it did so bad on those test locations they just didn't even go any further than that. So this is a game I have played a lot of. Fireball Classic. Ah, my guilty pleasure game. It's a guilt it is a guilty pleasure game. This is the fantasy fire demon theme. This is February of 1985, sells 2,000 units, designed by George Christensen. It's basically a, the exact same design as his original EM 1972 Fireball. It just has added a couple of minor rule changes, some sound, a digital board set instead of the sort of the, uh, the EM uh, boards underneath. And it didn't have zipper flippers, which are the flippers that move in and out. Yeah, the, the original one had two-inch zipper flippers. This just has three-inch flippers. Yeah. It's got great sound. I think it's fun. It's, it's got great weird sound. Very weird. It's uh, it's a wonderful game. Not because it's like an epic all-time shooter. Not because it's like the greatest game of all time. But it's just fun and unusual i love the lock stealing the lock stealing is great right so you lock balls back in this era for multi-ball it doesn't auto launch in most games you got to lock it in a a thing you drain out well the next person can release that yep what about the marketing on this this is a good one it's uh got the game on the bottom really small really tiny beautiful art but it has a gentleman in a tuxedo with a flaming ball on a like a like a silver platter it is a silver platter Fireball Classic. What's new and improved on the Bally Midway menu? Just the thing to satisfy those pinball cravings. Fireball combines all the award-winning ingredients that have made it an authentic classic with a few tasty new touches to spice up the action. From fresh graphics to a subtle spark of playfield garnishes, once again, Bally Midway is serving up excitement with its most sizzling pinball creation. Get them while they're hot. (laughs) <laughs> Man, these are weird. They these are, are extremely weird. Extremely weird ways to uh for it's red hot. It's red it's red hot, Ron. It's red hot. And it, you know, look this one up. It's got a beautiful skill shot, an interesting skill shot mechanic in the back. Same as the original fireball. Same as the original. No in lane or no in lanes. So it is uh you've got your flippers are are more or less mounted directly to the slingshot. So to to cradle up that ball and to stop the ball movement is really hard. But in addition, it has a really grippy, spinny pad in the middle of the playfield, which makes playing this game hell. Spinning disc. <laughs> it's great. Great game. Great game. Well worth your quarters if you yeah. ever see it. Tons of fun. And hopefully you don't play it in a tournament against a really good player because they won't lock anything. They're no fun. Yeah, they're the, the the devil. It has been reported, this is on IPDB, that there was a mixture of a bunch of different board sets with this game. So there's the 6800 and the 6800, uh, 6802 board set. Yeah, instead of the, the normal slash 35, sounds like they ran out of them. Yeah. So here's a great quote from Alan Resman who is the engineer lab supervisor in Bally from 1977 to 83. Alan says, I remember discussing this with Doug McDonald when the 35 board was revised. That was like the Dash 35 board was what they used through most of the early 80s, late 70s. The original 6800 based MP was developed in the mid 70s. After 10 years, some of the key components, including the MC6800 chip itself, were becoming hard to obtain or discontinued. 
I had left Bally at the time, but over coffee one morning, Doug told me they went to place orders for upcoming production and were surprised when some chips were no longer available. They wound up starting production with the Dash 35 boards until the components were exhausted, then put the 6802 board into production as a direct replacement as needed. Wow, so we're running into parts issues here. The slowdown in the coin-op industry started to have a lot of far-reaching issues. Well, plus the fact that the stuff was old. It was old at that time. If you're cutting costs, you are not going to want to build a new board set and to continue to innovate. Over at Williams, that's inevitably what they would do is they kept reiterating and updating their board sets until they got to the System 11 system, which really was a a rocket ship, but they were making minor changes. Over at Bally, they didn't want to make any changes at all to these boards, but the chips were now being produced at a lower rate and the stockpiles that they had built up were starting to dwindle. That huge expansion in the 80s wasn't happening anymore. Alan Reisman says, When pinball production was in its heyday in the late 70s, Midway placed a huge order for components like displays and chips. After production died down in the early 80s, it was thought they had a lifetime supply of some things, like six-inch displays. It was thought the new technology platform would replace the original board set before the chips ran out, but apparently not all the chips were available by the end. Now, there's no design credit on the uh, remake of Fireball. But they've remade a few games now, and they've given zero design credit to guys like George Christian. Which, if you're cracking out an all-time classic amazing design, don't you want to, you know, throw them a bone? They were doing that over at uh, at Stern. Well, George Gomez, well, Stern was out of business by this point, but... <laughs> Which is the reason they are out of business is because they put design credits on. (laughs) That's the reason. George Gomez said, Midway in the 80s was run by manufacturing guys, guys that came from the factory side of the world. They were not real keen on giving designers credit. I think they were very concerned that we would become rock stars or something. They were very touchy about design credit. So you do what Gomez did when you design a joystick. You just have your initials put in the artwork on the joystick. You just secretly hide it yep. for later on. GG. So people who are doing a podcast in the future can tell those amazing That's secret That's the whole stories. reason they did it. Didn't even know it was coming. That's how good George Gomez is. Or you're, or you're like really tight with the artist and he just puts initials in the back glass, hides them somewhere for you. Exactly. Cybernaut was the next theme. This is a sci-fi theme of May of 1985. So we've got a bit of a delay here when it comes to releasing games. It sells 900 units. This is not good. Designed by Greg Kamick and art by Doug, Doug Watson. No no software credit on this one. When I look at this pinball machine called Cybernaut, I see a reverse Xenon. Do you? Uh with a third flipper. Let me let me see. Let me see if I get a better picture of the entire playfield. It's got that weird thing in the upper right if I remember. Yeah, it's yeah, but it's, it's got the shot into the tube down the ramp into the capture hole. Y- yes, that part is a reverse xenon. Nothing else is xenon. <laughs> but it's got the it's got the 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 top there. It's got the it's got the saucer rollovers. But it's got a whole different section with a grid that goes up. That's like that goes up. By the way, that's not flat. Oh, very cool. Yeah, think um, oh, what's the daddy's game? Is it Phantom of the Opera? Yes. Where you kind of go up, that's that's what this reminds me of. Super cool. It's a neat it's a neat looking design. We we haven't got quite into the whole quote unquote flow era, right? Where you're shooting and the ball is smoothly coming back to the flippers. It's we're still in the era of you're shooting it up there and doing stuff. The art is um neat. 
you know I'm a sucker for sci-fi stuff. So it's it's pretty cool. It's not Xenon, though. Let's put it that way, right? Have you seen one of these? Of course I have. Oh, really? What do you think of that back glass? Uh, it's good back glass. What do you, describe what you see there. Paint us a word picture. Uh, it's a woman who's obviously um, partners with some robot. Yeah, and he's got, they both got guns. Yep. She's got her protective space thigh highs on. Yep. The robot's cool. It's got a really neat design. It's very like fish-like. It's got abs. It's got lots of abs. It's cool. It's weird, but it's cool. Yeah. But they only sold 900 units. It doesn't play, That's pretty it doesn't play particularly well. That's probably why. Not, not, <laughs> not a huge fan. Now, this had three different board sets. It had the 6800, the 6802, and the 6803. Uh, they only have 900 units, and they use three different board sets. This game was also produced by a company called Bally Wolf. W-U-L-F-F. Wolf. I think that's how you say it in, in, with the German accent. Yeah, it sounds German to me. You said the German Wolf. It's Bally Wolf. And uh, Bally Wolf was... It was a uh, whole other thing. So I've got some some interesting information on Bally Wolf. Try to read this one. You can you can read this oh one. Oh God, right? Gunter Wolf. I have no idea what that last word is. Apparatus, which I think is apparatus in German. Ah, so I'll just say Gunter Wolf. Company was founded in 1950 in Berlin, Germany, as a manufacturer. In 1972, the U.S. slot machine and pinball manufacturer Bally took over the company, which from then on operated under the name of Bally Woof as the German office for Bally. By 1985, they began manufacturing Bally games in Europe to reduce costs. Bally separated from the company in 1991, and Bally Woof, well, it's probably not Bally Woof, it's just Woof, is still in operation today. It actually is still Bally Woof. It is still using that name today, oh. which is super unusual and they're like a small time manufacturer there i think they are uh, about to be bought out or in the midst of something i was able to find an interesting quote from norm clark from his original conversation with clay harrell over on topcast now norm clark in the early 2000s was suffering after a stroke so his speech was very much impacted in this conversation it was tough to pull the quote but the knowledge that this man still had at that time and the insight that he had was wonderful. Who was Norm Clark? He was president of Bally from 1975 to 1985. And Norm says, Well, a supplier of ours had come to me and said they were considering starting up a pinball department. Of course, pinball companies had their own designers. We were tempted to help a company in Europe to design games they wanted to get over there but our price wasn't what they wanted to pay. Yeah, they were trying to find ways to make their dollar go further, and they were still, at this time, deep in the German market. With all the cutting and all the corporate changes, the pressure, Norm Clark would leave Bally in 1985. But not... (laughs) But it was this game, a game that, Ron, I can't believe you don't have in your collection, 8-Ball Champ which lit the world on fire. It has one of those really bad cabinets. That's probably why. There. So now we're finally getting into the the cardboard cabinets. Yeah, this is 8-Ball Champ, uh, the third of the 8-Ball series. You have 8-Ball, eight 8-Ball eight Deluxe, and 8-Ball Champ. In my opinion, the best of the 8-Ball series, which no one agrees with, but 
I don't care. Wow. This is August of 85. It sells 1,500 units. George Christensen on design. Art by Tony Ramuni. Software again by Riemann Merchant. The backlash looks like he had a day to do it. It's it's bad. It, he's done much better. He has done much better. But you can tell they're going for a really like old-timey billiards yep. game. Old-timey, single ball. Tight pants. But has lots of speech. The, the eight ball guy is back. Chalk up. And I think he gets on your case too if you just don't plunge for a while. He starts yelling at you. Perfect. Chalk up excitement in a game of pinball pool. Well, actually, pinball pool is another game. Gottlieb's going to sue you where the stakes are high and winner takes all. He's shrewd, scheming, a master at his game. He's a cunning pinball hustler taunting anyone who crosses his flashing path. His crosses his flat. That's literally what it says. That's so weird. There's only one way to find out if he's bluffing. Take on 8-Ball Champ at his own game. Bally Midway's newest pinball edition features a challenging playfield and enhanced sound system, sure to chalk up points with players. So do you agree with that? Well, by enhanced, it sounds like an older Bally when they sounded good. I mean, if that's what they mean by enhanced. <laughs> so why does this game, why, does, why is this game the best, in your opinion, of the 8-Ball games? 8-Ball uh, Deluxe, all the balls are on one side and one bank. This forces you to go all over the play field and you have to hit drop. You have to hit stand up targets behind the drop target to bring it back up again so you can hit it down again. Uh, it rips off the, the whole top is ripped off from Fathom. So they reuse that on a much better game. Literally, the entire top is Fathom. It has the same. The left, the left orbit goes around into a lock, down into a, a, a gate, into the lanes. It's got the spinner. It's in the exact same spot. Like, literally, it is taken directly from Fathom, except it doesn't have the inline drops up there. It just goes directly to a saucer. So it's got five single drop targets with a stand-up behind it, around in basically mimicking the six, or the, the five, five of the six pockets in a pool table. I, I said before, creating the world under glass when it came to sports was difficult, but for some reason, this one is beautiful. It's got this old-timey kind of look of billiards, and it nails it. It's gorgeous. It's just a shame it was made in a cardboard. I'm a fan. Big fan. Why don't you have one of these, though? I just hasn't happened. But, you know, if I was going to get a 8-ball game, this is the one I would get over 8-ball deluxe. This is the one. And it generally is cheaper. Because everyone wants 8-Ball Deluxe, Class of 81, etc. But hardly anyone wants this one. The next game was Beat the Clock. Ah, yes. November of 85. So we're closer together in production here. It only sells 500 units. George Christensen again. Tony Ramuni again. Software by Riemann Merchant again. This game is, I think, cooler than it deserves to be. It's got a really cool backlash. It's got like a Formula One car and a, and a motorcycle and a stopwatch and a guy skiing <laughs> and a football player and a biker. And you know who's a, a fan of this game, I'm pretty sure? I think a stern designer, Keith Elwin, is a big fan of this game. Of Beat the Clock? Beat the Clock. Wow. I think he said once they had this in their office at Stern. Weird. Yeah. The stopwatch never lies, my friend. And they go all out. It, the thing that will set people off on it is the fact that it doesn't have a standard rule set. It's it's time-based. It's literally what it says. Beat the clock. You add time units. And when you run out of time, you know, you run out of time. You've got to beat the clock. 
People don't. People generally don't like time-based games or anything that that does stuff like that. I, I mean, we talked about the James Bond game back in our ADB episode, which had a very similar issue. Ah, you mean the time-based game where Gottlieb, who never ever would have a revised ROM, had a revised ROM to, to, to remove that and make it a three-ball game? It was that bad. Yeah, it went over that bad. But every they're trying, they're trying to do something different. All the manufacturers are trying to do something different, with the exception of Williams, who just doubles down on doing what works. I'm trying to remember. I don't think it kills the flippers or anything when you run out of time, if I remember. I think it's just like when you drain after you've run out of time, that's it. But as long as you have time units, you can just keep playing. What about Lady Luck? This is the next one in March of 86. So we've gone from November of 85 with 500 units all the way till March with a game that does another 500 units. George Christensen, art by Greg Ferris, software by Riemann Merchant. Lady Luck. Yeah, and we're- this one I had never heard of until I had done this research. Oh, really? It's- I don't know why. The backlash seems familiar, but I don't, I don't remember this game at all. It's got. It, we're getting to the point now where the cabinets just say Bally Midway on them. We're we're saving money. It's like there. the same cabinet. We're just throwing every a different playfield in. Yes. Um. This one. This is a do the thing game. If I remember, it has like a. It's like a ten x scoring thing. I think. Yeah. It's got yeah the insert in the middle of the playfield. You got to do a series of things to get the ten x scoring. And then you, it's, it's something like you increase the value of the spinner, you get the 10x scoring going, and then you hit the spinner and you get obscene points, like just instantly. Like it, it's, if you get it going, it's easy to turn over. And it has, it has multiplier targets right in the middle, as opposed to the standard sort of, you know, bally midway inline drops. It's got them left to right. And it has a very similar lower play field to 8-Ball Champ, except it doesn't have the drop targets in front of the stand-up targets. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the exact pattern. It's something like maybe the captive ball increases the spinner value, then you got to complete something once, then there's a star, you got to hit the star, and then you get 10x scoring for a, a brief period of time, and then you hit the spinner. 500 units after waiting from November to March. That's got to be pretty disappointing, though. Well, it has winning features that will have your players dealing themselves in again and again. I like when I actually remember some things correctly. It says hitting the trapped ball, that's the captive ball, increases the spinner value. Shooting the ball through the star rollover scores and increases the lane value. Completing poker increases the value of the bonus multiplier. Extra ball. Where's the thing where it says get 10x? Unique countdown features activated, hitting both flashing star targets while the timer is running and all drop targets are down. Yeah, so you got to hit all the drop targets down and you hit the stars and then all playfield target values are multiplied 10 times for a brief period. That is quite the thing, Ron. That's a lot of thing. It's a lot of thing. And it's still got the cool like Bally sound stuff going on. We are in a bit of a death spiral here. You can see in... in 1985 well for for them anyway meanwhile williams is they're coming out with games like high speed well that's where the money's going right Uh, you know capital or money it moves and it goes where it has to go and you can see through 1984 we're still selling 2500 units per game right like that's still a pretty good measure of sell of sales. But now when you've got things like F14 or high speed or any of those games, the money has moved. There's the same amount of money. It's just moving somewhere else. And you can see by the sales of something like high speed, 
the number that they hit with that. It's a big change. So there's a different design philosophy here at Bally, at, at Bally Midway. Rather than innovating and trying to come up with something new and fancy, they're going to go all in on wild designs to get some attention. And that's where they first won Black Belt of June of 1986. It's 600 units, not a good seller. It's designed by Dan Langlois. So remember, he made that weird billiard game uh, for test. Art by Greg Freres, sound by Michael Bartlow, and software by Riemann Merchant and Howard Shree. So he's at least got some help on this game. Let's let me bring up let me bring up an image of this one here, Ron. And I want to, you to give me your first impression when you see this. I, I I've seen it. What is going on on the top of this playfield? It's got a flipper on the upper right that actually you hit like the opposite. You hit it. It's, it's weird. It's coming towards the player. Yes. Yep. You shoot the ball towards the player mm-hmm. instead of up the play field. But this is way up in the top corner. So it's not like it's going to come at you, but it goes up a ramp and then around. What is going on? <laughs> it is really, really weird. And let, let's talk about in the middle of the play field with, with this like, what is he, like a sensei or a fighting ninja black belt guy? You shoot him right in the nads. Yeah, pretty much, yes. So his legs are open and there's stand-up targets on, on one leg, stand-up targets on the other leg. And then there's like a, a saucer kind of in between his legs. Like what? Mm-hmm. What were they thinking? It just is silly. Yeah, I, I played this. This was at the New York City Pinball Championships. This was one of the games. I got to play this a lot. Is it fun? Uh, I got into it after a while trying to do it's It was like, do the thing, which I can't. I already forgot what the thing is. That's probably why my tournament skill isn't the best. But I, I just remember playing it over and over trying to do the thing. So it interested me enough to do that. And, you know, this this is the next trend. Trademarked. This is their branding at the time was the next trend. Yep. TNT. Exploding from 54 years of pinball leadership. <sighs> but it's not the same company anymore, right? Like 1932 to 1983. It's no longer Bally Manufacturing Company. It's Bally Midway Manufacturing. It's the easiest and best diagnostics package. It permits manual fee, free testing, factory installed mylar on key wear points, built in playfield inclination. Interesting. Now we're at sixty eight oh threes now, so we have the wonderful number pad. Oh, this is this is we're in we're in deep now. We're into a wacky playfield. <laughs> we're into a terrible set of boards. They're not suit the, the the number pad is terrible. If that number pad gets broken, you're done. You, you, yeah, get another one. Yeah. Get get an aftermarket one. Basically what we're talking about is a sixty eight oh three board set. They they had a number pad. So use the number pad to like get it, change settings and stuff. It's like if you went and you bought one of those LED strips off of Amazon or AliExpress and it comes with those weird plastic button controls. Yeah, just think that that this you have this pad, but if you lose this pad, you can't change any of the settings on your game. Yeah, you're done. That's it. So, but what it did give you the ability to do is it could, if I remember, it, it could control way more lights than their old system did. So they took advantage of that. A lot of these games of this era, we're getting to the mid-late 80s, have a ton of lights. ton of controlled lights. Yeah, they, they, they went with a lot of sizzle and less steak. Now, this game had uh, some changes for Europe. So remember, we had mentioned that Europe is a really big market 
for pinball. So it was produced in Bally Midway, but it was called Karate Fight. Artist Greg Freres had to change the name on the backlash from Black Belt to Karate Fight at the request of the European distributor. Freres didn't recall um, the specific reason the distributor had asked for the name change, although Zachariah in 1986 had Black Belt, and that was released a few months prior, so maybe it was to avoid confusion of the branding. We would also, and IPDB presumes that there's about 600 or so games included in the run that had karate fight backlashes rather than black belt. And I've never seen one. Yeah, they would likely all be in Europe. This was also Bally's first game with uh, self-percentaging. Yeah, they were behind there. High speed already. High speed already. Not way behind. That's got to be a year and a half. No, no. Oh, I guess we're in 85 now. That's no, right. we're in 86 now. Well, we're yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it probably was right after Williams, but Williams did have it first in high speed. But what is self-percentaging? What does that mean? I have no idea. Oh, before you had self-percentaging, the operator would set what score you needed to get a high score, and that was it. It was a fixed score. So if you put it on a location where a bunch of good players, they could get free games all over the place. And then if you cranked it up high, then none of the lesser players would ever get a free game and they would get pissed. So with high speed, they created the uh, auto percentaging or Mally calls it self percentaging where you put it out and it will, it will change the high score needed to get a replay depending on how many times it gets hit. You don't want to be giving away things for free, but you want that carrot to be there, right? Yes. You just want to keep moving that carrot slightly further Operators away. were concerned. This was like one of the biggest new features that came about around 86 was the ability to do this. Wow. Okay. As players, we probably like some of the other features. Operators, they were loving that feature. Well, they wanted to, they, they, you know, pinball machines are designed to make money. They are. Unless they're made for the home like now. Yeah. Riemann Merchant would tell IPDB that Howard Shear uh, took over the software programming because Riemann went on to another project. That project would be Motor Dome. Motor Dome. I don't think that's how that goes. Oh, there was a game. There was another game called Motor Show. I remember it was Motor Dome, Motor Show. Really? Yeah. Motor, Motor Show is a bizarre, I think it's a European game. It was at like Papa. I've, that's the only one I've ever seen. Motor Dome is June of 86. It sells 2,000 units. So, oh my goodness, we finally have something going on here. Greg Kamik on design, Tony Ramuni on art, software on uh, Riemann Merchant. And this is another sort of, you know, wild and interesting playfield. Something very un-Greg Kamik. Um, he's he's out of his comfort zone here. The playfield um, does not have a saucer up on the top which must be really, really difficult for Greg Kamik to design around. But what is going on here? We are to the plastic era. We're finally moving into vacuum-sealed or vacuum-created plastic ramps. And this thing, what is going on here, Ron? Yeah. And it has the bizarre thing. When you start a game, it asks you what level you want. Level one, two, or three. I don't know. And you have to remember to pick three. You have to remember to pick three. It's something like it's it's harder, but all everything's worth more. If you ever play in a tournament, David, always pick level three. Although I don't know if you'll ever see it in a tournament. <laughs> the, so this game, 
Um, they're trying to compete with high speed. They're trying to compete with something that is completely different in the world of pinball. Um, y- you know, <laughs> so much plastic. <laughs> what is what is okay? So there's a ramp on the right side. There's a drop target. You shoot the drop target, it goes down. Then you go on a long swooping ramp that comes up to almost an upper play field into a two inch flipper that then flips the ball back up the play field across a ramp across the top of the pump bumpers into a capture hole in the top right yeah. corner but if you if you don't flip that flipper that that two inch flipper it rolls back down to the left f- flipper at the bottom of the play field if if you you brick the shot up the play field it comes back down and crosses to the right flipper it's oh my god it is a mess but is it fun? Uh, I Because they haven't had ramps, right? That Ramps have not been a thing. They haven't quite figured out swooping ramps. They haven't quite figured out flow. They're just like, let's throw some ramps mm, in and see what, what works. I don't know. I, I only played it a few times, and it's foggy. Which basically says, ah. Uh, well, and also, even though the, the art on the playfield is crazy, and the, the cabinet, we still have the just Bally Midway. Yep, it's it's got four flippers. It's got that one two inch flipper on the upper playfield. It's got a, a standard flipper down on the bottom. But it definitely appears like when you look at this, like yeah, oh, they put some more money into this. I mean, man, there's there's way more crap on the playfield. Yeah, I think you look at it and you go, hey, this is kind of cool. I think this is kind of fun. And then you probably play it and you're like, oh yeah, well. But I bet you, I bet you, it's it's kind of fun. I bet you it's kind of fun. Revolutionary, but I bet you it's fun. Moda Dome. Now, do you know what had come out in 1985 that I think that they might have ripped off for this pinball machine? Uh, a Mad Max movie? Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Thunderdome. See, I, f- I think I get Bad Max Beyond Thunderdome with well, this. Well, they, they weren't the only ones to do that. That's what Road Kings is, basically. Yeah, Road Kings. Yep. The donor game of the future. I love Road Kings. Ga- I love Road Kings. After this, they've also brought in um, Bally... Uh, Bally Midway has brought in Dennis Nordman. And we, we go that the Dennis Nordman, uh, let's talk about your ramps episode back in the archives. You can check that out over at silverballchronicles.com in the archive. We're not going to talk about special force, but we're getting into vacuum, you know, ramps. We're getting into unusual designs and we're bringing in fresh blood. It's a fun game, right? Remember special force? Yep. I remember it. It was very green, very green and mountainy, very mountainy. Strange Science. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's a whole game. It's a fantasy science theme. It's from June of 1986. Uh, this game is a decent seller at 3,000. I'm sorry, at 2,350. It's designed by Dan Langloy. So he's the guy that's doing all the weird designs. Greg Frere is on art and software by Howard Shear. Um, weird Science, I think, was that, wasn't that a movie in 85? Yep. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the one with... Oh, God, who was in that? Is that the one with um, Kelly LeBrock? I think so. I, j- I remember they, they the, invent I, her or whatever. Yeah. Was it Anthony Michael... Oh, God, now I got to look this up. I don't think I've actually seen the movie. I just remember. Yeah, Anthony Michael Hall, Kelly LeBrock. Yeah, and any other guy who I don't remember. So I don't think I've ever seen it either. Oh, Robert Downey was in that? Okay, maybe I'll have to watch that. <laughs> I love Robert Downey Jr. But you but you have not seen Iron Man. Uh no, I've seen Iron Man. Really? I didn't think you've seen any of those nope, MCU. I saw movies. Iron Man. 
Iron Man's amazing. I had to see it. Robert Downey Jr. was in it. He was in... Have you seen the second one? Uh, I saw the first... With Whiplash? 15 minutes, and that was it. And I didn't see the third one. The second one was good. The third one was decent. The second one was awesome. So good. So Strange Science is pretty cool. It has a cool um, neon topper. He's looking at pictures of it here on IPTB that it got to be like 30 years old. Oh my God, they're so... And the worst part is the play field is really messy, so it's really tough to pick it out. Uh, let me see if I can find a better picture. Ron, talk me through this because I've never seen this game. Great art. Greg Freris, just killer art. Absolutely insane. One of his best packages. Like I said, it's got the awesome neon topper thing, like Mad Scientist. Basically, it's a Mad Scientist theme. He's like transferring brains between a monkey and a woman or something like that. It's on the play field. Uh, there's like a dude with a guitar for some reason. You can kind of see that the, the art is very... The style that he'll use later for games like, you know, Party Animal, you know, Party Zone, Dr. Dude. It's that style. It's got a crazy lock shot with a a, a flipper that hits it up this really steep, short ramp that comes up into the um, Atom Smasher, it's called. Which they, they would use the Atom Smasher again on other games. I, I think even, I think... On Keith Elwin's Archer design, he had the Atom Smasher in there somewhere. Um, it's got extra buttons just to do the lane change, which is weird. I don't know why they did that. Why not, man? Just just throw anything at the it's wall got and see if it sticks. Cool sound. It has a five or six ball multi ball. You keep hitting these balls into the Atom Smasher until you get them all in there, and it starts multi ball. You're also supposed to be able to hit the balls while they're in the Atom Smasher and get them out. But in reality, the flippers are always too weak because these are the horrific mm -hmm. Bally linear flippers that suck bad yep. as far as yep. power goes. Um, it's a 6803, so it's got all these lights. It's just got awesome light shows. It's shallow play because you're just going to be trying to lock the ball and just get the multi-ball. That's all you're going to really do. But there's lots of But there, it looks man. so good. This is worth it to look it up on ITB, IPDB because there's the flyer in there and there's like a whole comic book that Greg uh, Freres had created about the story behind the the mad scientist and the late and the the woman and the monkey. It's well worth it. I mean, it's not podcast um, content because it's hard to talk about that. But this is a pretty unique game and you can see that it has popped a number of about 2,000 units. So that's something to see. Now we've brought up Dan Langloy a few times. But he is an interesting individual. He was brought into Bally uh, Midway at this time to shake things up. He was, you know, he, he, his specific goal was to just go nuts on his play fields and change things up. And by goodness, he did it. But he's really difficult to find any history about. I've, I've tried multiple ways to get information about Dang Langloy, and it is tough. Now, I did find an article, and I've included it in the show notes, about Stern Video Games' Dark Planet from 1983. He worked with a... Uh, Dan Langloy worked with a gentleman named Eric Erickson with the most um, lazy parents when it came to names I've ever heard. <laughs> Says David Dennis, yes. <laughs> it's basically an asteroid-type game. Dan also worked on Gilligan's Island... After his Bally Midway tenure, 
when he was tragically killed in May of 1991. He was struck by a car leaving a bar where the game was being tested. He died at the age of 33. And we would know that Ward Pemberton would actually be brought back on contract to finish up Gilligan's Island. So uh, Dan, who I think is one of these unsung, unusual folk in pinball, tragically taken too young. City Slickers was March of 1987. No, it wasn't. It was City Slicker. I'm sorry, City Slicker, the one. Now, this is a train wreck. Sells 300 units, which is not great. Gangster theme, Greg Kamick, art by Pat McMahon, Reman Merchant. This was the original name, City Slicker, was the original name for the $6 million man in 1978. Yeah, Greg says, back in 1978, the designers named the White Woods whatever they wanted to. And I always liked the name City Slicker. I got the name from a 70s contemporary clothing store named City Slicker here in the Chicago area. During the 1970s, the Whitewood names were always changed by the marketing department once the game was released for artwork, which is interesting. Because back then, they didn't really have that. They'd do the Whitewood first and then just make the art whatever the theme was supposed to be. Yeah. So the marketing department would be like, this game is the $6 million man. But by 1987, the industry had changed to the point where the theme was decided first. And then the Whitewood was designed to the theme. I still like the name City Slicker, so the theme became a nostalgic Roaring Twenties bank robbery theme with two players shooting it out on the playfield at the same time. I had a new interactive pinball game concept I wanted to try out. This is inevitably why the game was a bit of a, a, a sales flop. It was an adventure to basically boost sales. The initial concept was there were two sample games of City Slicker created that had a six-foot cable and a switch that was triggered by a second player. at the So they were, quote-unquote, playing at the same time as the first player. So the standard bottom flippers on the playfield were controlled by the player in a normal fashion. There were two additional flippers in the upper and the middle of the playfield that were controlled by this opposing player with their cable and their button. Hmm, interesting. So Greg says, it was truly a shootout feeling. It was really interactive. But Bally Management changed the game back to the standard one-player-at-a-time sequence for the production run. That was a big mistake. Bally Management removed the attached cable and gun and replaced the top-left flipper with a thumper bumper, which made no sense, and had the circuit control the middle flipper to shoot the ball towards the two lower standard flippers, which made even less sense. So the game became muddled. So maybe that's why the game sucked. (laughs) When I played it, I was like, wow, this sucks. I had no idea that it was supposed to have all that other stuff in it. Man, we need someone to like retrofit that stuff back in to see what it would have played like. What it would have been like. It probably would have been pretty cool, I think. Let's dive into what I think is a pretty unique and unusual game, Hard Body. This is a bodybuilder theme from April of 1987. It sells 2,000 units, so again, a pretty good seller. Designed by Ward Pemberton. Art by Pat McMahon and software by Reman Merchant. So Ward is back on contract. He was brought back to design this pin, but at the same time, because he's not with the White Sox anymore, he's working as a firefighter in Chicago. So this guy, this guy has had one crazy life, man. He's designing pinball machines. He's playing baseball for the White Sox. He's a Chicago firefighter. Something else. So the theme here, Ron... Do you remember Rachel McLish? I do not remember Rachel McLish, no. Neither do I. I had to look this up. So 
Rachel McLish endorsed this pinball machine. Well, in 1980, Rachel was the first ever IFBB Miss Olympia contest winner. After her 1980 win, no woman appeared on more magazine covers for the next five years than Rachel. She lost the title in 1981, but then regained it in 1982. These breakthrough victories in bodybuilding, together with her visual appeal, brought women's bodybuilding further attention than it had ever had before. She never placed lower than third in any contest she entered. After she finished second in the 1984 IFBB Miss Olympia, McLish retired from competitive bodybuilding. She's actually still incredibly active online today with various workout programs and a YouTube channel. But why the heck would they go with a Miss Olympia pinball Because machine? they have Bally Fitness health clubs. <gasps> oh my goodness. Yes, Ward Pepperton tells us, Bally was in health and fitness clubs now. Rachel McClish signed with the fitness department and they wanted to do a pinball machine for that. Sure enough, that's what we did. We changed BMX a little and made it hard body. So there you go. You got a machine that didn't really sell very well, so we're going to mix it up and we're going to make it hard body. And I know some people like it. They like they prefer this over BMX. I think they they swapped some of the drop targets out for stand-ups. They removed one of the magnets, but it's it's pretty much it's pretty much BMX. I have a friend that has one of these. I've never been to his place to play it, but he like he like loves this mm-hmm. game. Legitimately is like, this is a great game. I don't know what people complain about. I mean, the theme is a bit weird, bodybuilding and such, but the, he thinks the play field is pretty unique. The translate, though, is screaming 80s. It's just photos of Rachel McLish. Yeah, in her various poses and lifting things. And it's photorealistic, which is not a traditional uh, ballet thing. That was more of a Gottlieb thing, where it was like a photo translate. I mean, it is designed to bring teenage boys in to play it, right? That's kind of what pinball was at this time. We still have the generic cabinet art. This has the awesome reflex saves. You love those, right? They are the worst. So can you you explain that? This is a terrible, terrible design idea, but please explain this, Ron. Picture a situation where there is no in-lane. There's an out lane, and you have to save the ball every time it goes there. There is a second cabinet button. button. Each side that you push... To have a, it, it, there's like a thing that comes up so you can't drain, but you have to time it. And you only have so many and so much, so many times you can do that. Depending on the game. Before it just, oh, just, yeah, oh, there's different, for, like, I think BMX, you could just, you, you could only do it, you couldn't do it consecutive times within a certain period, but you, they, you always had them and you had to do it every time. And then I think some later designs, they made it so, it would do it for you at least a few times so you didn't like just drain instantly. Yeah, and you have to be on the, mind the pun here, you have to be on the ball enough that when you're going out the out lane, you got to shift your mind to move your hand down to the other button to hit it to to save your ball from going to the outside because it will always 100% of the time drain unless you do something, which is I think a terrible design, but a lot of people really like it. They think it's really yeah, cool. Yeah, they did it with BMX. It's on this. Dungeons and Dragons, which is going to come up soon. Those are the ones I can think of. All Ward Pemberton games. The uh, It has an upper play field, which is not a, a Bally staple. 
And in that upper playfield, you're basically shooting stand-up targets, drop targets, inline drop targets. And those are like uh, workout stations, right? Like you're working chest in one area, you're working arms in another area. I haven't been to a gym in a long time, so I assume that's what you do in a Mm -hmm. gym. So then we come into Party Animal. We talked about that in our Dennis Nordman episode as well. Amazing art on that one. There's there's not much more else we can talk about how amazing that is. But the one we're going to jump into next is Heavy Metal Meltdown. Uh. This is the Heavy Metal music theme, August of 87, 1600 units, designed by Dan Langloy, art by Tony Ramuni. Software by Riemann Merchant, because like literally this is all he does is code. He must be completely insane. This is the only... There's the only music in this game is a drum track and a bass line while the player is left to fill in the lead guitar riff by hitting shots. Every switch triggers part of the riff. The duration of the ball sounds extends the guitar solo. It's as awesome as it sounds. (laughs) I don't know if it It is. is 100%. Is it? You start the game. And the first thing it says is heavy metal meltdown. And then it's got extra buttons on the side. And when you hit them, it'll say heavy, heavy metal, metal, heavy, heavy. That's That does sound pretty It has heavy. a huge boombox topper. Yeah. So the, back in the 80s, you had to have a sweet stereo. And the cabinet is total crap. It's horrible. So I've seen these with the, the topper like is weighing down the the back box it's like drooping it's because it's fiberboard it's like glued together fiberboard if you look at it look what's look what's on the cabinet (gasps) art it doesn't say just Bally midway it actually says heavy metal meltdown and it is really cool art like we're getting better you're right we talked about rock which was a rock game, obviously, uh, from from uh, the System 80 era over at Gottlieb, and they did the photorealistic 80s thing. Well, this is similar, but it just is cooler because of the art. The art is beautiful. Now, the gameplay on this is somewhat shallow. There is a ramp, and that's what you try to do is hit the ramp. That's all you try to do is hit the ramp. People people love ramps. Um, you lock the balls, and you start multi-ball repeat it has the atom smasher from uh, uh, strange science they brought it back mm-hmm. i don't think they call it an atom smasher i don't remember what they call it but it literally is the same thing that's what the balls get locked into the power amp. The pa- power amp yeah and it's the same thing you, you should be able to hit the ball in front and knock it out but that never works but uh yeah i'm a fan i used to play this at uh papa back in the day you just try to hit the ramp and start multi-ball and enjoy the music heavy one of the things that they are promoting in the, the 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 flyer here is the solid construction of the cabinets. No. Cabinets are rock solid using miter joint no, construction not. and 65% more plywood. Okay. No. <laughs> and sizzling graphics to finish off the perfect pinball cabinet. Lies. The house lights go down, the crowd cheers, and the drummer lays down a backbeat that just won't quit. You'll pull the plunger, the ball screams to the top, and the stage is set for your first pinball concert experience. It's a total concert package. Long before Guns N' Roses, there was heavy metal meltdown. What's cooler than rock and roll and heavy metal music, Ron? Uh, crank up your profits. That's another one. I like that one. Crank up your profits. But you know what? You know what, though? 
the next game we're going to talk about has better music, even better than Heavy Metal Meltdown. Well, I mean, they're the only thing cooler than 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 hard rock and 80s metal is Dungeons and Dragons from October of 1987. This is the fantasy nerd theme, 2000 units. Uh, Ward Pemberton back again on contract to do a second game. Art by Pat McMahon and uncredited software. But if I were a gambling man, I'd probably say it was Reman Merchant. It has it has even a in, more insane topper. I think that's even taller. The dragon topper might be like the tallest thing ever. I mean, other than big guns or something. Like when you, when you when you put the back box, the topper extends just out over everything. It's it's ridiculous. It has this music that does not match the theme at all. You would think Dungeons and Dragons, I would think, you know, medieval orchestral music. That's what I would think. No, no. It's like the funkiest soundtrack ever. It's so good. And the more balls you lock, the slower and funkier it gets. I used it uh, for my my podcast, the Slam Tail Podcast. We originally used the um, multi-ball theme, the multi-ball music for our theme music. It was so good. It has another unusual play field, and that, again, ties back into sort of Ward Pemberton, uh, Dan Langloy, all those guys that are like, hey, we got to create weird, unique layouts because we have to be different than Williams, and we have to be different than Gottlieb. Ward Pemberton would say that every game takes about a year to design. That's why they had always different game designers in between games. Even in the contract, it would pretty much state that you had one year to do a game. And you can see that with that 12-month turnover, you're getting a lot of recycling. And in this game, we are getting those flex save outlines again. Flex save. We got the carrot flippers. They're an eighth inch longer. So they're, what what would that be? Three and an eighth inch flippers. It has a, a ramp that leads to the inline drop targets. It's the see, see only, cool. only time I've ever seen that. Ton of lights, ton of lights. So when it, the fire, the Dragon Breeze fire, it looks really cool because they use like the, the center of the play field is the fire coming down. The ball goes in behind the backboard yep. and around on the left and right side, which is, uh, which is really neat. You know, unconventional pop bumper in the middle of the play field. What do you, what do you think of the Dungeons and Dragons theme? It seems, it seems like a good theme for pinball, doesn't it? Uh, sure. I've never played it. The, 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 the that game. I played the pinball machine. Now, the artist, uh, Larry Elmore, he threw in his uh, signature in the bottom of the t- uh, translate, which you'll see um, on a piece of the stone down there. So that's a nice little Easter egg in there. I have played this game. I think it's pretty cool. And that's the thing, right? Like, sometimes I'm, I'm like, harsh on games, but I'm just teasing. Sometimes? So, you know, like, every pinball is generally good pinball. I mean, not even, I mean, except for Halloween. But all of them are all pretty great games. I'm just joking about that one, too. Calm down. Calm down. Don't send your hate mail to me. You can send your hate mail to silverballchronicles at gmail.com. And this is an unusual game, but I think it works. Just don't play it at a show where you can't hear it. Although that's probably the only place you'll ever see it. But if you can play it somewhere else, just tell them to crank up that freaking sound. Crank up that music and listen and listen to the the brilliance. So good. Uh, Blackwater 100 was the Dennis Nordman game after this. We talk about that in the Dennis Nordman episode. Speaking of plastic. But... We're coming to a watershed moment in the pinball industry. We are coming to the actual death of Bally Midway. 
So that's what we're getting into. 1989. Well, were you aware of Aladdin's Castle? I've heard of Aladdin's Castle. I've heard of it, but I didn't know of it back then. But a lot of people have a lot of amazing, fond memories of Aladdin's Castle. Aladdin's Castle was a shopping mall arcade chain that began as American Amusements Incorporated in the early 70s. It was purchased and renamed Aladdin's Castle by Bally in 1974. The number of store locations grew from 20 in 1974 to 221 in 1980. And it was 360 of them when the chain was spun off in 1989. Yeah, so we had talked about the dwindling of the war chest, all of the dumb spending that they had done with the video game money. They didn't invest it in pinball. They didn't invest it in gaming. They bought silly things and they expanded silly things aladdin castle would be one of them but aladdin's castle was quite smart because you're manufacturing the game you're operating the game on location and you're buying the game to put on locations very smart sort of vertical integration they call it with corporate stuff but by 1989 the luster was very much off of bally midway all the money was now apparently in yachts and fitness equipment another quote here from george gomez the notion of selling off aladdin's castle and selling off distribution when you basically had it going on all ends if you walked into an era where atari had a hit in asteroids bally was profiting because bally was operating the game and they were distributing the game it's nice when you have a bally midway game like pac-man but what about when you don't well guess what sega's got something or if you've got missile command guess what you're distributing and you're operating who would shoot this golden goose I mean, what kind of idiocy is that? So eventually, the Bally Midway executives would see this profitable arm and they needed to raise money and they would send it out. Why would you do that? That's terrible. Then, the big day, the sale of Bally Midway to Williams. Wow. Pinball's dead, Ron. That brings us to the end. Pinball (laughs) is dead. The funny thing about that is from the video game side... Midway had, was, a much, was a much more known name than Williams. So even though Williams bought Bally Midway, Williams then took the Midway name as the name of their video game arm, which pissed off most of the employees there. It's like, hey, we won. We bought them and we're using their name? What the hell? Yeah, Midway, the name Midway would stick around well into the 2000s until it wasn't around anymore. <laughs> Yeah, George Gomez ended up, he was working there. Yeah, so, I mean, Midway was a powerhouse, right? They had, they would eventually, um, under the um, the Bally-Williams-Midway sort of umbrella, would come up with the amazing smash hit of Mortal Kombat, which I think changed video games in quite um, a unique way. Speaking of powerhouses, you have Williams Pinball. They now have the Bally name, and they would use it. Now in the industry, we have... Um, Gottlieb Premier with their System 80, um, AB, ADC era, who is moving into System 3. And you've got um, basically uh, Bally Williams Midway. You got Data East. You got Data East. But those are the three main manufacturers. The, one, of the, one of the pillars of early pinball, 1930s, right? Ballyhoo, you know, gone and absorbed into their largest competitor. Wow. Pinball's dead, Ron. It is? It's dead. That's, 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 that's not a positive way to end the podcast. Well, spin this in a positive way. Uh, the Bally name got to live on on really good games made by Williams. (laughs) (laughs) 
As always, you can send your comments, questions, corrections, and concerns to SilverballChronicles at gmail.com. We look forward to all your messages and we read every one. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcatcher. Oh, David, you know, favorite is still spelled wrong. What's with the you? I mean, seriously, I've been doing this for how many years now? Fix your spelling. I'm sorry. Turn on automatic download so you don't miss a single episode. Remember to leave us a five-star review. That way more people can find us. Oh, the Patreon. Okay. Join us on Patreon to support the show and become a crony. I'm sorry, I'm spacing out. Um, what, what did we talk about last time? What was he referring to? What was the episode? What was our last episode? Right after that, we get into Speakeasy 4. Oh, hold on. I don't think it's called Speakeasy 4. That's I've what it said on IPDB. I've heard of Speakeasy. I've never heard Speakeasy 4. IPD being right now. Wow. I've, I've never, ever heard of that. I heard of Speakeasy. Okay, so it was Speakeasy, and then they made for export Speakeasy Four, ah, which I have—that's why I've never heard of it. Well, Interesting. There. I wonder mm-hmm. what the hell that does. It actually say that on the back glass? I have to look now. It does. Holy Toledo! Wow. This is the hard-hitting research that I do, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> It all began thousands of miles beyond the mouth of the Nile River in a... It's too small. I can't read. <laughs> Can I there we that? go. Can there I... we go. Okay, I'm trying. There. Bally Management changed the game back to the standard one player at a time sequence. Bally Management changed the game back to the standard... T- <sighs> Bally Management changed the game... Wow. Let me start at the beginning. As always, you can send your comments, concerns, corrections, and oh, I fucked up again. Sh-